Welcome to a new episode of the Virtual Coffee Break podcast from the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Today, we will learn about an issue that could be impacting your herd without receiving too much attention, and that is other edema. Dairy educator Cora Okema will have a conversation with Dr. Dona Barsky, a veterinarian, and with Evelyn Okema, a dairy manager from Central Michigan, regarding this topic. Cora, take it away. Welcome to another episode with me, Cora Akma, your host for today, along with two guests, Evelyn Akma and Dr. Donna Barsky. I am the um, dairy educator for District 6 in North Central Michigan. I wanted to thank you both for coming today to have a chat about something that I feel we all can agree upon is a perplexing subject. To start, Evelyn, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and what you're currently doing on the yeah, so my position is the herdsman slash manager. Um, currently, we milk about 700 cows on a 40 stall rotary. I did go to MSU for my bachelor's in agribusiness management and my certificate in dairy management. And Donna, could you please tell us about yourself and what you do? Yes, I am a veterinarian working at a Lakeview Veterinary Services. Um, I graduated in 2018 from Michigan State University, uh, College of Vet Med. Awesome. So today we're going to be going over what is a categorized as a metabolic disorder, utter edema, and what it is, and have a producer and veterinarian perspective on the disorder, and share some interesting findings uh, within research. A short and sweet explanation of udder edema is that it is a non-infectious swelling of the udder during the close-up and fresh period, which is also known as the transition period. This swelling is actually lymphatic fluid that's trapped within the tissues of the udder. And visually, we can tell when a cow has udder edema when the medial cleft ligament or the cleft of the rear udder begins to soften. First off, Evelyn, what has your experience been with utter edema as a producer? Yeah, so when talking about first lactation animals, um, it seems like the more edema that these heifers have, letdown issues and uh, milker attachment problems as well, because sometimes the swelling is so much that the teats are almost inverted and you have to stand there and hold the milker on. And do you feel that you see utter edema quite often, and is it just in uh, your heifers, or do you also see it in your mature cows as well? Sometimes I do see it in my mature cows, but it's not necessarily severe as it is in the first lactation animals. But um, usually all of the heifers have some sort of edema, whether it's just a little bit or it's pretty severe, so... And do you see utter edema actually carrying on throughout lactation and really changing the utter shape and utter structure in these animals that have that really severe edema? The, the heifers that have the severe edema, times it seems like once that edema goes down after being milked for a few weeks, the utter attachments are really weak and sometimes it looks like the heifer is a fifth lactation animal almost and but talking about it going on throughout the lactations, usually it's just the first two lactations that I see it, but uh, sometimes I do see it in my mature cows as well. And Donna, as a veterinarian, what do we currently know within animal medicine about utter edema so that we can try and understand 
why this is happening. For a problem that is everywhere in every herd I go to, there is very little actual information on why this happens and what we can do to prevent it. Like we know we can give them diuretics and stuff to fix it, uh, but there's concerns with that as well. So essentially, um, because cows produce so much milk uh, and heifers are coming in and doing that for the first time, they actually lack a lot of the vasculature for the blood flow to return to the heart. Uh, what I mean by that is they haven't developed their milk vein yet, uh, among other ones as well, but that one's the one we can see. Uh, from the outside. So what happens, they're pumping a bunch of blood towards that udder, that udder's growing in size and, and demanding that, that blood flow. But the blood then needs to return to the, to the body. Um, and so then that's the more difficult part. Um, so as they come into milk, their milk vein will develop uh, and that will kind of even out. So that the problem becomes edema forms when there is, at least in this case, when there's a problem from blood delivery to the area and excess fluid uh, that cannot be moved out in a quick manner. Until the vasculature and the milk production kind of normalizes between the two, uh, you're going to see that blood liquid vasculature or the, the veins and arteries in the udder and transmit into the intracellular space. So that's what causes that pitting edema, which is where you can push on the udder and form a pit that is essentially pushing the the fluid around in between the, the tissues. So until that normalizes, you're going to see that to some degree. So it probably has a lot to do with the fact that our cows now to 50 years ago even, uh, differences in production. So the cows of today are just superstars as far as production and mainly in our first fresheners because they, they just don't have the vasculature to, to compensate as much versus an older cow who usually walks around with a milk vein all the time and a heifer has to come up with that. So mostly in this case, it's going to be the hydrostatic pressures that, that are causing us. Um, which you would see with like a Yoni's cow, which is a protein losing disease. Um, so it's not quite like that. It's not quite like fluid retention in humans, which is usually related to kidney or liver failure situations. Um, so it's, it's mostly a blood flow problem. Yeah, which, which makes it very unique and difficult to understand. And, you know, looking back, I, the earliest thing that I've seen, um, Research-wise, looking into utter edema was all the way from 1937, which was talking about, you know, that pitting and what it looks like and how to do it. And most recent studies um, have happened in, in 2018, which actually brought up some very interesting uh, ties that utter edema has to some other transition diseases like a subclinical ketosis. And so when you talked about treatments of diuretics, are there some supportive therapies that have been suggested just to aid in mitigating a little bit of the uh, swelling within the udders? So kind of. So I guess supportive care, do you mean not prescription? Correct. So mint udder balm actually has one of the most commonly recommended thing for this. As an essential oil, it kind of is a little bit skin irritating, I guess, or it, or it flushes the skin, which makes you think that you are getting more blood flow to the tissues. And I am not sure, I don't know if you have seen anything, that there's actually any official data behind this at all, but anecdotally it does seem to help and it's one of the most ubiquitous things that we see in, in products is the oil. Um, and again, it, it seems to work, or I guess it's touted as working by bringing more blood flow to a tissue. And therefore, if you increase the blood flow, you're hoping to reduce the swelling by way of, you know, being able to evacuate the the tissues a little bit better. Now, 
seems a little contradictory because the problem is more in the outflow versus the inflow in this case. But again, anecdotally, it's something that commonly people use. The other things are on smaller herds has been massage and heat compresses. Both of those things are associated with swelling and um, you know reduction in pressure, essentially. So you're causing back pressure, which is going to force fluid back into to some degree, or at least dissipate it so it's not so tight. Um, kind of like when you run sub-Q fluids to animal and you push on it, it will dissipate a little bit. Similar things. Much harder to do when you're milking some 100 cows. Evelyn, do you want to go and put pressure and massage all of your heifers? I'm sure they would sit there real nice. What What is it that you do? Um, do you use some of that liniment um, for your fresh heifers or for any of your, your cows that are coming in with, with that edema? Yeah, so at freshening, uh, we have what Don was talking about, the mint. Um, kind of in my mind, it's like an icy hot for the cows. And you massage that onto the udder, usually, definitely for the first milking. Sometimes we do it a couple more times afterwards if the heifer's real agitated and just obviously doesn't like to be milked. Kind of doing therapy like that, but don't do it long term. Because um, with the uniqueness of your herd, is that um, you do have a separate hospital parlor, which does allow you to do a little bit more one-on-one -on -one, uh, treatment and care in, in this instance where some some herds, they have a singular parlor where they're sending both their main herd and their hospital herd through that uh, one facility. And so it sometimes does make it a little bit more difficult to do some of that one-on-one -on -one care in that sense during that milking period. So I do say that that's very much an advantage for your farm in order to provide that for your animals. Is that yeah, that's correct. I would definitely agree. And it, it kind of helps me as the herds person to give that one-on-one -on -one care to the animals in general that may need a little extra help or stuff to get going in the lactation, especially with the heifers. You know. Doing a little bit of uh, background research on utter edema, I found some really interesting things that um, really piqued my interest in this topic, but also definitely raises my concerns about uh, utter edema. So I did find that uh, utter edema is a risk factor for clinical mastitis actually. And um, it was shown that uh, cows that have experienced uh, utter edema have a lower milk production uh, by an average of 7.9 pounds per day. Um, and as I said earlier, utter edema does have an interaction with other transition diseases such as subclinical ketosis. And uh, as Donna had said, that cows with that high milk production potential, so these cows that are just been genetically primed and set up for that substantial milk production, they do have a greater risk of developing utter edema. And um, with the nature of utter edema, we have found that feeding uh, animals with a high salt diet actually can cause... So we actually find that um, heifers that are fed with a high salt diet can develop greater severity of utter edema. And so with the nature of anionic salts, we feed that to our mature cows to uh, stave off milk fever. And so with heifers, they don't experience hypocalcemia, so they necessarily don't need these anionic salts. So it's crucial to feed your um, late gestation heifers and your late gestation cows different diets to make sure that their needs are being supplemented and we're not setting them up to actually have greater issues down the road. 
Donna, do you have any concerns as a veterinarian about utter edema in the dairy cattle population? So yeah, I mean, it's something we see everywhere, right? So how many diseases do you see everywhere all the time, every day? Not very many, um, or at least I hope not. So the main thing I would be worried about is as you as you were talking transition diseases that come along with it, I would be interested to know if those were correlations or if there's any causation evidence there, uh, because I also worry that these high production cows are gonna be more prone to, as you said, ketosis, but independent of the edema. So it's, you know, it's one of those things to think about. It's probably more, the entire picture versus like the correlation between those two. So yeah, I can see where they would come along together though. That makes total sense to me. Um, the main thing for me is, is um, these trips through the parlor, the first few trips through the parlor for a heifer, it's always going to be harder than, you know, until she gets used to everything. So if you think of having, walking into an udder with a, or walking into a parlor with a sore udder, you're putting something on her that she's never had on her. And it probably doesn't feel very good with this edema. Um, it's probably, you were saying you have to hold it on there because otherwise it's going to bark and chirp and fall off and all that stuff. Well, there's your exposure for mastitis. I mean, if she's not being properly milked out, I mean, it's all setting her up for a bad situation. So, and then also, as you know, they usually lay down kind of funny when they have this edema and it's not just the size of the udder, which is what I think a lot of people assume. I think they're sore on these things. So it comes down to a little bit of welfare issue too. Um, are they going to behave like normal cows? Are they going to go eat and drink and lay down like normal cows? Because they, it's harder when you have this great big massive swollen. Yeah, there's a bunch of concerns because mastitis is the bane of the industry. So we, we really need to be watching it, especially as we're selecting for these cows that are just cranking the milk production for us. So uh, especially if we start to see it tick up in our mature cows, because that would be a huge concern. We see enough mastitis as it is, in my opinion. So we don't really need to have a condition that predisposes them to more. Uh, and it makes you wonder about opportunities for research here, because as I said, like, there's, I know you quoted some, but and maybe it's because I'm out of academia for long enough, I can't find these papers very well anymore. Like I don't have any fancy logins anywhere, uh, <laughs> where I used to in school. Um, but I couldn't find very much being done. And it's interesting because some of the questions that were being asked, I'm like, oh, that sounds like something an academic would ask, but no, someone who's never milked a cow, you know? <laughs> so it's interesting because it would be, you know, nice to know if these things are something that we could mess with genetically as far as like, well, this cow has way less edema than this cow, but they're milking the same amount. Wouldn't that be interesting to know if there's a genetic correlation there? Is that something we could select for? Um, so stuff like that would be would be fascinating to know about. I was you mentioned before the podcast when we were chatting about you know the milk vein development. Is there something there where they could you know look into as a phenotype that you can easily select irritability, yeah. <laughs> but it, right. you can see it. You know, so that would be something relatively I don't know painless. I don't know if that's very feasible. But yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to know these questions, you know, answers to some of these questions. And, but yeah, I mean, as I said, it's a disease that's literally everywhere. It's a huge concern for welfare, for predisposing them to different illnesses, maybe, or at least correlating with them. It's always, always good to look at stuff like that. Right. Yeah, you had, you had touched on the welfare of these animals, and with that very much being uh, a big push both for connecting with our consumers and really paying attention to those to these welfare concerns and really looking into behavior of these animals and trying to figure out, you know, do they do they lie differently? Are they up and walking around? Are they just standing? Will they go up and eat? Or, and this is a question for you, Evelyn, do you see a difference in uh, the behavior of these animals in the parlor when they're coming in with this edema? 
Uh, yes, brought in the parlor. So with peppers, it's it's kind of hard to get a strict yes or no answer for you because you know it's their first time being out. They don't like being touched to begin with because it's something brand new to them. And then with either severe or minimal edema, you know it's it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to give a strict yes or no answer because it's just peppers. It's it's the nature of peppers. <laughs> peppers <laughs> that, that explains it all. Evelyn, as a producer, what do you think could be looked into on the research side? As you know, as Donna had said, there were so many questions that she had that she really couldn't find the answers to when she was looking, uh, looking up things about utter edema. What's something from the producer side that you think um, could be beneficial for researchers to look into to give you some answers? Uh, what Donna was saying, you know, I completely agree with that wholeheartedly. Everything that she was talking about was really interesting, and it would be really beneficial to know the answers. But I was also wondering about like colostrum production. Is, is that production actually tied to you know the utter edema? Like kind of how in the beginning I was saying that it seems like more utter edema have or have from like yeah from their for that first milking associated associated yeah. with one another, or is it is, does it just not matter matter yeah. at all, or if it's simply all the edema makes it look like they have, you know, a well-sized udder, but really there's not a whole lot of colostrum in the udder, or is it expectation versus reality? Right. Or could it also be because back pressure signals cessation of milk production? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a normal trigger. That's why, it, like, say, a cow calves in the wild. So many wild cows around here, but say that. <laughs> It's calf dies, or it's born dead, or whatever. Her udder's gonna swell. It's gonna bag up, and then it's gonna that back pressure is a huge trigger for nope, no more milk. We don't need us. Right. So it makes me wonder if that's not playing some role too, because there's got to be some back pressure on that. It feel rock hard at least, right? right. I can right. Imagine. Right. So right. There's a little pressure going on. Right, or where it's taking you know from milk let down, where it's taking a lot longer for the tissues of the udder to recognize oxytocin. To actually can they it, respond to can it? Can it correct, like even respond to it, yeah. Or is the fight or flight system that's kind of been kicked on from trying to get loaded into the parlor and start milking all these noises, is that taking over from the letdown process, even if you do give her a longer amount of time just to let down and we're massaging and we're doing all these things to try and help calm her? Are they really just counteracting one another and just making this process? even more difficult because of all that back pressure and all of that edema there were just taking up the space for where the milk is supposed to be. Could be the case coming down the line where these cows with that other edema are have more milk production. That could be what's going on. Can't exactly say that that is, um, but that definitely would be very something interesting. Um, something very interesting to look into on the research side. We should try. Yeah, we want to do our own experiments. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it'd be interesting to treat some heifers with furosemide and/or dexamethasone, or, or both. You can't do it pre-calving, obviously, with dexamethasone, but to see, like, what would happen? Like, would you actually see a statistical difference? And then, would it be worth it? I know there's a hold, but would it? Right. Would it be worth so it? So I have it, even if it's for your severe cases, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, as a as farmer, you don't want to do pre-milking because of all the different problems that could could occur from it. So if there was something else that you could do, just not liking life with all of the swelling and whatnot, there was something that you could do to make things go along better. 
I was doing my research on other edema. I have like, oh gosh, I think there was about six or seven different scales that I have found for scoring other edema. The thing is, a number of them had zero descriptive factors of like what each um, score was. And so there were two that I found that really had to put two or three that had the descriptions, had pictures, that had everything there that you really needed to actually use the scale. In my personal, professional opinion, there was only one scale, which was done by uh, Morrison et al. 2018 um, up at the University of Wealth. They had actually created a four-point scale from zero to three, um, provided very clear descriptions, provided great photos, looking at just the rear udder of these cows and scoring them. And I had had the question of would producers be able to use that and would they feel it to be beneficial to their farms or how, how could, and I guess this could be directed to you, Evelyn, with, with a scale like that, because if you think of it kind of like body condition score or a lameness score, do you think that practically an utter edema scale could be used on your farm? And if it would be beneficial at this point in time to start, say, scoring your animals, like, at freshening, would you feel it had any benefit practically for your farm? For our farm, I, I do think that it would be beneficial because there's a lot of things that you could compare it to later on in, like, in that lactation or either further down the line, you know, you can look at, if you, you know, keep track of it all, look at the score of the edema at the heifer at freshening, and then you can look later on down the line, okay, this heifer had, you know, a three, and then she comes down a month later with mastitis, or she totally drops in production, or vice versa, you know, this one had a score of zero or one, and, you know, she's done really well, had no problems, and, and you can actually see if that's that's the case, and, you know, the whole grand scheme of things, but I feel like a lot of farmers don't know that utter edema can cause later on in that animal's life. So I, I think that if farmers knew more about it, different causes and associations that utter edema has with the animals, that I, then I think that farmers would be more open to you know, using that, because that can, that can save you a lot of trouble down the line. And so my... My answer to this, though, what are you going to do with that number three cow? A cow that scores a three. Right. Wow. Well, what guess... are you going to do with her today? Right. Are you going to get rid of her? I mean, she might be producing more than the other cow who scores a one. Probably is. So are you going to get rid of her? Well, that's, I guess that's the thing. Is so you can look at more, you can, you can do more research and then right. figure out right. what actually happens with these animals that have. So what you're doing is you're setting up. A research experiment. <laughs> what I suggested. <laughs> so my thing is, is do you have the animals, or it have to be someone's job to score all these animals? Um, which I suppose is something like I do body condition scoring for some farms, like at her health. Right. So because I'm behind the cow, right. you know what I mean. So I, you know, something that I could do, like I could score these cows for you. So then, what are we going to do with that data? So we have to tie it in, and we have to make correlation and causation statements, you know, with all the other health issues, right? So then we have to get a you know a p value on that to, to make sure that it's a real thing. Right. Um, but then also at the end of the day, what are you going to do with these two cows? Right. So maybe that would be a decision making point for you to go. Maybe I should 
maybe I should start treating those number twos and number threes. Because maybe number threes are the worst, but maybe number twos, there would still be, like, how, so how much how much more milk would you have to get to pay for the cost of the furosemide and for the dumped milk, essentially? Right. So, like, you'd have to factor that in. We'd have to right. put that, this is all a spreadsheet thing. Like, you'd have to put it all in there and be able to look at some numbers and stuff right. and make that decision. So, but then it just comes down to time and, you know, right. stuff like that. Too. And I believe so. it was... Um, Melendez in 2005, if I remember correctly, that did a study that found that, that eight pounds a day difference. And so, you know, we could just start using those base numbers of kind of like getting an idea, you know, is it really worth it in the long, in the long run? But um, you, you had mentioned, um, you know, if you compare that one cow and that three cow, and yeah, that three cow is making, making more milk and compared to that one cow or, um, and it brings up a really interesting thing that, you know, you, you hear in the background, but I actually heard it a few weeks ago at, at the Dairy Cattle Welfare Symposium uh, that we had in Syracuse, New York, where you can never equate a cow's milk production to her welfare and to her well-being. And I think that's something that we should really encourage others to think about as well and to, and to kind of keep in the back of their mind where no matter what, if that cow is like, this cow's making... 120 pounds compared to this cow making 150 pounds. Well, if you put that 150 and 120 pound cow in, you know, a very, very crowded pen, you know, they're still going to say that they're making a lot of milk, but could they be making more in a less crowded space? That's kind of the thinking behind it. So absolutely, you know, cows, if, if she has good welfare, she could absolutely have greater milk production. But I think that's just the interesting nature of just utter edema as a whole where we still have so many questions about it and it's really good that we're seeing some research being done on it but I think there's still a lot more questions the nature of research you actually end up with having more questions when you start finding answers um, but it seems that we're all in agreement that it's confusing it's fascinating though um, but we all do recognize that it's, it is a problem and we all want something done about it, where whether it's you know more practical treatments that can be developed, or you know something on the genetic side, where this is something where we could look at genetically to help decrease the severity of it down in later generations, or something like that. Um, I want to thank you both for coming on our podcast today. Um, do you guys have any final comments or things you want to say about other um, as a whole or something that you found really interesting within our conversation that you want to have? No green. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. Well, once again, thank you all so much for uh, tuning into this podcast and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Cora, Evelyn, and Dr. Barsky for today's episode. Please join us next week when educators Marianne Morosky and Victor Malako discuss the importance of cow longevity and its impact on efficiency and profitability. I hope you'll join us then. <laughs>